0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to another Learning Tech Talks, where I'm helping keep you focused while living at the intersection of business, technology, and the human experience. This has been a long time coming. In fact, right before I hit the countdown, Rob and I were reminiscing on when was it when we actually scheduled this? And I think it was back in June. So yeah. to have this conversation with me, I am reconnecting with a longtime friend, Rob Lauber, who... We'll talk about our journey there, but Rob, I'm looking forward to this because we're going to talk about really the landscape of where the market is from a tech standpoint, but also what we should be doing about that as practitioners, how we should be thinking about it. We're going we're gonna to fill this time, no problem. So thanks so much for making the time.
1: Yeah, no, glad to be here and uh, looking forward to finally freewheeling this hour. So hopefully- I I
0: know. And I'm (laughs) so glad you decided to turn off your virtual background because I just, I feel like I'm getting to see the real Rob in your native environment with the, is that an elephant behind your head? That is it. Yeah, it's an
1: elephant back there. And uh, let's see, over here, uh, we have some gnomes. Love uh, the decoration. what happens when you work from your daughter's room. Like, you know, so, yeah.
0: Well, as a father of three girls, I am all too familiar with that. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the boys balance it out though. Cause theirs is not neat and tidy. Like that. I wouldn't
1: know. I only have three girls. So. Okay. All
0: right. All right. Well, we got that in common. That's right. So yeah. And it's funny because as we were talking, I do remember back. Do you remember when we were at Kohler's experiential learning? That was a, that was a long time ago. Long now time that I ago. Think it was about like
1: 2015, maybe.
0: I think it was. As yeah. yeah. Oh, there's my new Mac thing. Um, yeah. So we were doing that. And at the time, you were still with McDonald's. Were you at McDonald's? Then? Yeah, I just got
1: had- to, I just got to McDonald's. I was probably there for like it was in the spring. So I'd probably been there like six or seven months. Okay. So, so, okay. I, 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 so well, 3rd. and again,
0: I guess I'm talking about this. Like, I mean, you are pretty well, I don't know many people in the industry where if you said Rob Lauber, people would be like, who's that? But yeah. for those who don't a little bit of background, cause you come from the practitioner side. So you're a former well-known CLO. What's, what's your backstory into the industry?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, um, it goes back about 30 something years now, actually I was, um, out of college, I worked for. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grow up, like most people when they graduate. Like most from school, people, yeah. Like my kids when they graduate from college, <laughs> and so I, um, as I keep telling them, "Don't worry, I didn't figure it out till I was like 28." But I worked for a company called Dun and Bradstreet, and basically, it was calling on small businesses and doing basically business credit reports. You know, okay. uh, the pay how they pay and how well they're financed and that kind of stuff. So you're sort doing
0: of- sales. You're doing like. T- Well, sort of. Yeah, sort of sales.
1: Like I had to convince people to give me their balance sheet without actually, you know. (laughs) That's an easy ask.
0: Hey, I know we just met, but can you show me your finances? Yeah, it
1: makes the sale of a product look simple, but it was like, what year were you born? Where did you go to college? You know, sort of. Because all those things are important to, well, not those things necessarily, but like the age of the principals, their background, yeah. their experience in the business that they're in is all important for like banks and insurance companies when trying to issue credit to identify risk. And so uh, so we would have to go out and literally interview these people to do it, sometimes over the phone. And sometimes uh, eventually I started doing it in person and it was in Brooklyn, Queens and Staten Island, New York. So, you know, you'd walk in and you'd be like, hi, hey, is uh, John Jones there? And they'd be like, who wants to know? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> So it was, it was good. It's true yeah. New York form. Yeah. yeah. You know, can I get your balance sheet? Well, which one are you looking for? Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, the one that's on always, the books, the official one. Yeah, it was yeah, like the, was the one. one you use for taxes, really, because you okay. know we don't want yeah. to go other places.
0: I don't want to ask any questions. I don't really yeah, want yeah, to yeah. know. Just yeah. give me no. the one that you turn into the IRS.
1: You know, and I was calling on places. You know, um, uh, some really interesting places in New York. I, I, like I was on the fringe of a lot of organized crime, so it was very interesting piece in terms of like certain people would start showing up across certain businesses on like their bank signature cards and things like that and you were like oh huh, this is weird and so um so i got really good at, i got really good at spotting so you got
0: it. your start in sales and on the fringes of organized crime rob well, i'm getting to know a new version well, of you that i'm I actually getting i'm actually
1: around. getting to my point of how i got into this because i started being able to really spot fraudulent businesses um, really easily, so people would start up or put a retail front on, and they would go down to. Now fashion. that wasn't
0: part of your sales pitch, was it? No, by no, the way, I've gotten really good at identifying fraudulent businesses. Yeah, well,
1: no, they. Well, actually, that's how I got into LD. But they started. <laughs> they would go down to Fashion Avenue, New York, at, you know, Seventh Avenue, and they'd go to these wholesale houses, and they'd go and they'd uh, apply for lines of credit with all of these different companies, and these companies would mostly ship them clothes, and clothes or whatever would come in the front door of the retail outlet and go out the back door on a truck and then the store would disappear overnight and they would fence it all right and so and they would just evaporate into the you know into the ether those businesses would just disappear so I got really good at being able to spot them and identify them I knew all the neighborhoods and that kind of stuff and so um, I got some national recognition for it from where I was working and they were like hey we'd really like you to start teaching other people How you sort of spot
0: oh, that's the connection to the learning education. And so so
1: suddenly I find myself doing stand-up training, teaching a seminar on you know how to spot these fraudulent businesses, what their patterns are like, you know, what I've experienced, what I see, how you can typically tell, what are the questions you should ask, those kind of things. And then that led into me actually teaching selling skills because a lot of this job was about selling too. And I did stand-up training for about three years. And we would uh, take new hires and we would fly them into a place in Georgia um, uh, outside of Atlanta in a conference center. We'd take new hires and we'd fly them in and about 50 percent of them would turn over in the first 90 days, like most first level jobs.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
1: um, at one point, the president came down and he's like, OK, this is kind of crazy financially, doesn't make any sense. So we're going to close the, the center. And um, instead of laying all of you off, I'm going to give you like 120 days to come up with a business plan of how we should be training people and i want you to present it to me this is like february it's like i want you to present it to me in june um and you know we're going to close this at the end of the year and if i don't frankly if i don't like your plan you know this going back yeah to this
0: is month. this is reminding me of like gladiator you yeah know? It's yeah it's like, like if, 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 if i don't year, like your out, plan you 120 you know, days, put together your plan and then i'm going to stand there with my thoughts
1: <laughs> yeah if, <laughs> if i don't like your plan you're, you're here, here. Right, it so and in with
0: the organized crime thing, I see this is really coming together in a nice story. Yeah,
1: well, you know, yeah, it had nothing to do with that actually, but um, the uh, so the summary came. You know, we put together crash course in instructional design, really rethought about things. I got exposure to Mager and all this other stuff, and I found myself super passionate about it. And, you know, needless to say, I, I stayed there. They paid for my master's. Uh, I, you know, suddenly I figured out what I wanted to do in life. Um, and I'm
0: curious when you presented it, just thinking about this, because one of the things we connected on originally was just having a bit of a different flavor for how training works effectively from a business standpoint and the yeah. difference between educating people and actually driving performance. So what was it? Do you remember, like, what was it that you said, I think we should <laughs> do this differently that got the thumbs up?
1: We said a couple of things. Well, remember this is before the internet.
0: Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. And so we said a couple of things um, and it was we, there were like, there were four of us actually that worked on this. And and none of us had any background instructional design, but we kind of took a common (laughs) sense approach and said, okay, if we're running this like a business, we should be thinking about, you know, the financial practicalities, right? Because (laughs) that's what, that's what doesn't work right now. So we need to think about what that is. And then we need to think about like, How do we literally, and this has stayed with me forever, is how do we enable people to learn as as opposed to teach people? And so we moved to a much more self-paced format as a result of it and um, had them, you know, shadow people to get reinforcement and depth and exercises and that kind of stuff. So we built basically this modular self-paced program that built, you know, from simple tasks to the most complex tasks. Uh, you know, I would call it like an early certification program.
0: Yeah,
1: um, There were like, I think like 40 modules in it. And some of them took like, you know, 30 minutes and some of them took, you know, a couple of days. And the idea was basically that by the time you got to the end, you knew how to do everything. Okay. And um, they got super jazzed about it and so jazzed about it that I ended up taking it outside the U S to Asia Pacific and then to Latin America as well. And repeating that model. So it was a good, like suddenly I find myself in an international assignment for a year, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, she's okay. A year ago, I was worried about losing my job. And so it was kind of, you know, so that's kind of how I got there. And, um, in 2005, uh, no 1995, I graduated, I got my master's degree 10 years after I graduated from college and in human resources development, And I was kind of like, okay, am I really good at this? I'm passionate about it, but am I good about it because I have like deep subject matter expertise or am I good at it because I, um, because, um, you know, because I like get it. And so I wanted to really test myself. And so I went, started looking for jobs and I, so this
0: was that, and again, I'm reflecting on this, this is because there's a lot of parallels to this that I'm seeing, but this is, you'd hit that point in your journey where you're like, do I just really want to be a deep subject matter expert practitioner in the space, or is it something different um, that maybe I still am in the same space yet thinking about it in a different way?
1: Yeah. And transferable, right? So right. it's job security. If you can do it across industries, if you understand how people learn, you can do it in any company. And so I kind of had that thinking like, well, hmm, let's test this. Uh, you know, let's take myself <laughs> a human experiment. Let's experiment and see what happens. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I was single at the time and, you know, it was was easy for me to experiment. So I found a job. I went to work at Cooper's Library and I was suddenly found myself in a room with tax associates and um, we were teaching uh, tax associates how to become more consultative in working with clients. And I knew nothing about taxes. I knew nothing about that world of professional services. And so, but it, but it was able to sort of facilitate an instructional design process that worked really yeah. well, that we created this uh, experiential program for people. And it was like three days long. And it was a case study uh, simulation, basically. And, and um, you know, when the capstone was they had to present to a, a group of partners, okay. Um, and go from there. So it was actually a really interesting kind of uh, piece. There. So that, that was sort of my, my journey into it, I'd say is how I got so started. When you, going back and and then the rest kind of this, fell in, in place. from. There.
0: Oh, it, there must be a little bit of a delay. So I'm curious with this because, so this would have been what late nineties, early two thousands.
1: Yeah. Late nineties.
0: Okay. Okay. So around that time, and, and again, I think this goes back to some of the things that I sometimes see happen in our industry where not necessarily in our industry, but I'll see this outside of our industry where there can be this belief that if you don't know the subject matter, there's no way you can possibly understand how that works. And my experience has been similar to yours, which is if you get it and you understand how the nuts and bolts of this work, you really can plop into any industry, any like you can really do that well. But at the time, did the track of leadership that you were, did you see that as a pathway? Because I think chief learning officer is still a little bit of an ambiguous term that I think some companies are very familiar with. Other ones are like, what's that? Like, I don't even know what that is. At that point, did you see that as a pathway for you?
1: Um, No, I wanted to do more. So so I left Coopers and Library and I went to Bell South, first because I was getting married and we didn't want to live in New Jersey, blah, 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 a bunch of personal reasons. <laughs> but um, but I went to Bell South and their wireless business in Atlanta, again, so another industry, um, and started doing management development work there. And um, I built a relationship with a person who was in charge of sales. Okay. And um, they had a person, a great guy who was in charge of um, sales training there, but he had been around for a long, long time and was well-liked in the organization, those kind of things, but the programs were very stale and they knew it and they, they didn't feel like they were getting value out of it. So they asked him to revise it and um, he came back with a plan that largely looked the same as it was before. Um, and so she asked me to take a look at it and give me your thoughts. And so I came back and I said, well, here's like four or five things I don't even remember, but you know, here's how I would approach this differently. And uh, like three weeks later, I was in charge of sales training. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was my ascent into leadership. Suddenly I was okay. running, you know, suddenly I was running all of the, you know, all of the sales training, which was retail, B2B, indirect kind of stuff. And um, all the sales enablement, I guess would be called today, and uh, management and leadership development. Okay. So it was kind of okay. weird a dichotomy there. Um, on that side. And then when Bell Sal spun off its wireless business into singular wireless, I led the transition team that redefined what L&D needed to look like in the new organization, Okay. Um, built kind of a hub and spoke model for that. And then yep. um, they said, okay, great, run it. And suddenly I was effectively the CLO in the organization. Okay.
0: Okay. So it wasn't necessarily that title
1: till, you know, till 15 years later.
0: Well, that's the thing. I think that title, I don't even know that it really existed. I mean, maybe it did in like the GEs of the world or something like that. But other than that, it really didn't exist. Um, Yet the role still existed in terms of having that enterprise oversight of how employees are being developed.
1: Yeah, I mean, my organization at Singular Wireless was bigger than it was at McDonald's in terms of direct reports and actual um, actual control over budget spend. Okay. So um, it was just because McDonald's business model is franchise, so it's a little bit yeah. different. Yeah, right? yeah, and completely so, different model. Yeah, yeah, and so it was, um, you know, so that was a very different thing for me. Suddenly I had 500 people under me and I had a $80 million budget that I was looking <laughs> at. And, you know, and I was, I was, Honestly, I was drawing on my Coopers and and experience, yeah. um, the professional services model that they had for L&D, um, and, which was very hub and spoke. And I applied that into Singular and it went really well. So because each of the business units that I supported held the actual dollars in the budget. So the headcount technically were funded by them, but reported to me and I reported into H.R., Okay. But the but the CHRO largely, other than like some enterprise stuff and management and leadership development, really was not make didn't have any decision making authority over how I spent my money. Okay, it was, it was all the the it fun. was all business. It was all oh, business related. Yeah, and and people, you know, and uh, you know, many great conversations with a different head of sales there, um, and I was like, look, if you don't think I'm being effective, the great news is you can fire me because it's basically a change of paper right? I mean, I'm just going to take my money and I'm going to leave. So it really drove like a service model orientation for our team, which was super um, productive and helped us stay focused on like delivering for the business. So as you
0: think about that, because, and again, this won't be the whole focus of our conversation, but I do think, you know, I encounter a lot of folks from our industry who maybe have aspirations to grow up uh, into a more senior leader role in the learning function and. I, I think there are some key themes for the ones that do it really well, which you've hit on some of that, which is really that service to the business side of things, which I'm curious your take on this because where I do see this sometimes go South is and how you navigated this because service to the business can often be interpreted as order taking. So they want a thing. I'm going to make sure that gets done, which my experience has been initially people might like that, but eventually it doesn't make you a strategic partner. So I'm curious how you navigated that because there is no shortage of business leaders. They will give you plenty of, they will give you plenty of orders. Oh yeah. But just running out and executing it. My experience has been, that's not a great way to be a strategic partner with them.
1: No. Well, a couple things happen. I think one is it like, there are, um, advantages to being an order taker, right? So sure. you know your customer feels like you listen to them and you respond to them and you give them what they ask for. Right. And I think all those things are like great attributes of learning organizations that that um you know really effective functions are able to do that. I think the tricky part of it is um you know how do you define success for it? Right. And, uh, and what I was always, you know, someone would be like, well I want to do it the way we you know ATT back in the way before my time in the seventies had the and most of the people I worked with were from at t had this, you know, Darth Vader program, they called it. Right. Cause you know, okay. star Wars is in 76. Yep. So, and that's where most of the senior executives have been trained and they, you know, we should bring that back. Um, and, you know, and they'd be talking through it and, and saying it, and it'd be very easy to be an order taker from that perspective. And I'd be yep. like, okay, so how are we going to define success from a sales perspective? Uh, how much are you willing to invest to actually make that happen? Because by the way, you know, it's now the 90s or 2000s and, uh, you know, $76 aren't the same. And you yeah. probably didn't have insight into how much that actually cost. And, um, you know, when you actually push came to shove and you say, OK, here's what something like that would be mapped out. Now, here's the concerns that I have. Right. I want to make sure we we're clear on what success looks like. The reality is that um, oftentimes you could get them off of that. By yeah. by by going in and showing what their order looks like, helping them understand yeah. the implications of it, making them define how success is actually going to be measured, and then turning around and making suggestions to alternatives to it. So you're right? still
0: doing the things that you said are important, which again, making people feel heard understanding what they're really trying to accomplish. Those are really important service models. But I think of an example back in my early days where I remember I was asked to go do something. It was, again, I think sometimes leaders, and I know this of myself, you don't always know what you're asking for. So you're like, I, I need this because that is the extent of what I know. Yep. And you don't really realize that. And I remember a time one of those orders in my way and when I actually deconstructed it, I mean, it was millions of dollars that I knew was going to be a complete waste of time and money. And I remember, again, going back and presenting that and saying, here's what that looks like. I understand this is what you're looking to accomplish. My concern is that's not actually going to accomplish it. And here's a better path forward. And he was a terrifying man, by the way, terrifying dude. But I remember he just said, thank you for thinking and we worked through it. We were able yeah. to work through it and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I understand what you're doing. I appreciate you thinking it through and moving that forward. And we ended up doing nothing like what was originally
1: planned. Well, and my, I'm going to speculate right now that after that sort of event, the trust level in you oh, with him was huge. The roof, and now you were essentially empowered to go in and sit there and say, like, I think there's three other ways we should tackle this. or. Yeah the question was more posed to you. Here's the business problem we're trying to go after. I think we can solve it with some sort of training or learning thing. Give me your thoughts on how we might go about yep. doing it. So yeah. it's much more open-ended.
0: Yes. Again, there's that initial front where, yes, it can be a little difficult. And I will say, and as you probably have, you will run into people who are not interested in having that conversation. Sure. That is, There are absolutely people out there that are not interested in it. Sure. But by and large, my experience has been once you do that and you demonstrate it well, that you listened, you thought critically about it. Yeah. The conversation changes after that. People aren't yeah. coming to you going, here's what I want. They're coming to you going, here's what I'm trying to do. I may have some ideas, but I actually want you to weigh in on that and tell me what you think.
1: Yeah. And, I, and, and the way I've always tried to put it is like, I'm a steward of your investment. Right. Right. So like a financial planner, like other people that you trust with your money, right? I'm one of those people you should trust with your money. So if I think that we're making a not so great investment or a suboptimal investment, I should be saying something.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't <laughs> you don't want an or, you don't want an order taker for your financial investments. You don't no. want to go to somebody and go, I want you to invest in this, 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 and this because I saw it on Facebook, and I read the news, and they go, "Okay, like yeah. here's your life savings. I poured it all into, you know, Enron Bitcoin, right before get, the Enron yeah, crash, yeah. you know, something like that." And you're like, "Why'd you do that?"
1: Yeah, well, you know, day. my financial planner talked to me all the time about how people are like, "Bitcoin, Bitcoin, get me in Bitcoin," you know, and he's like hold on a second. Right. You know, uh, you know, whereas an order taker would be like, okay, how much, you know, yeah, and, how much you want to put in it? Well, you, sorry, you, you know, you bought it at 65,000 and it's now at 17 or I think it's at 35 today, but still, you know, um, the apology tour doesn't work. And so I think no. that that's, um, I always felt like, um, uh, you know, maybe it's my orientation, but I always felt like that was the conversation to have because even if it was, you know, um, you know, sort of a somewhat conflict intense conversation that beat the alternative of taking the order, doing what they asked, cleaning, watching it, watching it make no difference at all. And then they tag you with it. Right. Because that is what
0: happens. People don't remember that conversation where the order came from. It's just when it blows up. It's like, well, why did you do that? And saying, well, because it wasn't me. It doesn't hold
1: water. Right and if it wasn't me then it was the supplier's fault right so you know i mean we blame tech right those kind of things i i used to love people that were changing lmss all the time and i'm like the problem's not the platform the problem's your strategy right. so you know but it's easy to blame
0: it is you
1: know, easy, it is it's so and and human nature too i think you know your first point isn't always to take personal responsibility so yeah but so it's, it a, it's
0: you have to hold that in healthy tension and i think that is one of those things that it cannot always be comfortable to walk that line of, I am here to support you and serve your needs. Yes. But that is not best met by me running out and doing whatever it is you think, because you just don't know what you're asking for. And it's my job to educate you on what you're asking for and show you a better path forward.
1: Yeah. And I've always tried to say, you know, like I'm a steward of the function. Yep. So I have to I have to keep the business lens first on what it is that I'm trying to do, and then second, it's I'm just, I have some domain, I'm expected to have domain expertise, so I should have an opinion about how things should get done relative to that domain expertise. Okay, and I'd say that you know anybody out there listening in this profession should feel the same way.
0: Did you ever have any? We don't have to get too specific, but did you ever have any where you just really banged your head? Because I have one in particular where I remember the chief marketing officer and I just shouting at each other across a table. And I finally just said, I'm trying to help you. And we we ended up shaking hands and walking away going, okay, you know what? Yeah, like we both got a little heated and whatever, but did you ever, <laughs> have you ever had those moments where it, it hit a head?
1: I, I had somebody walk out of a room with me on me once, <laughs> like at, at, a, at a super senior level, like direct report to a CEO level, like just slammed his book shut and walked out of the room. right <laughs> And People looked at me like I was dead and, you know, and, um, you know, and he just needed to walk away. And it wasn't, I, I I remember it vividly happening. I don't remember being scared about that happening. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, because this person was actually could be very difficult to work with. But he's also somebody that I convinced to give me a million and a half dollars off budget to- That's ex- what
0: so I was just gonna ask, right? if, going back to your earlier prediction of how that was, I was going to ask if that person ended up also being a person who ironically ended up being a supporter in other areas for almost sometimes the very reason of, the thing that made them slam the book and walk out actually was the thing that later made them go, I can trust you because I know you're willing to do that if you really believe that what you're doing is the right thing to do.
1: Well, and and or you never have to guess what I think. Right. So, you know, so from an order taker perspective, sure, I might take You know, we we all have times we have to sort of take the order. Yeah, you all have to take it on the nose. Well, particularly if you're trying to build credibility with somebody. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, you should you should have a point of view about the order that you've taken, like a good waiter in a restaurant when you make a food choice might say, "Mm, you sure you don't want the burger, right? You know that 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 is you know there's value in that, right? Yeah. And so I think that um, you know, so I think that our relationship um, you know, looking back went in waves of like lots of conflict yeah. to lots of harmony to lots of conflict to lots of harmony. Yeah. But, but at the same time, um, you know, like. I, I wouldn't avoid that person at a cocktail party today. I'd probably no. go to him and, and I'd probably give him a hug and we'd probably have a great laugh. And what I would say out of it was uh, we, always had the re- we always had the same thing in mind, which right. was bringing the business because he was in sales. And it was like, we always had the same thing in mind, which was how do we get the organization even better, even better, even better, even better. And um, you know he had a lot riding on it. My reputation was riding on it. So it was like, okay, we had shared interest. We just would disagree sometimes on the path to get there yeah. or on the sort of tactics to take to get there.
0: Well, and I think that is probably a great message to anybody listening on this is if you can get unification around that, what are we really trying to solve for? You're going to run into conflict. You're going to run into times where you just see wildly different what the path to accomplish that is. And that's my experience has been, that's okay. You have to learn how to fight diplomatically. And there are times to your point where you know have to know when you lay down your sword and go, My job is to inform you that this is a risk and I don't think this is the right path. Ultimately, if what you're saying is do it, I will, you know, follow through on that, but it is my duty to make sure I'm informing you of what you're about
1: to do. And one of the things I always focused on was um, either way, my idea, their idea, order taken, or, you know, sort of idea given was um, let's prove it first. Yep. So let's, you know, let's not, Go to the wholesale organization and go, right? We know yes. we framed out what the investment is. We framed out what the su- cr- success criteria is. Your idea or my idea. Great. Let's go to Corpus Christi, Texas, test it in that market, and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Right? Before, the, no, we, right. before we invest in my idea, before we invest in your idea, sure. Right? we have the success criteria framed out. We're in agreement there. Great. Let's go test and learn someplace first about what works and whether it'll achieve what the outcome is or not or get us closer or not and that's how I got money from them actually and yep. I you know, data ringtone and graphics were coming out at the time and um, <laughs> if you can imagine when you used to have to pay I for know.
0: A- I remember um, that
1: uh, yeah, yeah most people I talked to today it was before they were born. No, man, I remember you and bought so, all those things and yeah, yeah and, and so we went and tested in Corpus Christi, Texas a, a, a training program on how to suggestive sell and and then we measured the attachment rate meaning you know how often customers bought it and that kind of stuff. And it basically increased transactions by like a dollar 40 a person or something like that, which translated into like 40 million million in sales nationally. And so we went to them and said um you know, we think that this is what this could be, but we, you know, but our original plan, our original plan was to do this over the next two years. And what we said was, we think this is such a big idea that we shouldn't wait two years. We should really get this done in the next six months. One, technology was moving too fast Two, if sales are really on the table, why wouldn't we accelerate this thing? And so I said, here's what we need. We need a million and a half dollars. I know that's a lot of money, but here's what it looks like. And here's what we're going to get. And he's like, well, let's just, if I assume you're off by a factor of 10, right, on the $40 million, which you're probably not, maybe you're off by a factor of five, would I put a million and a half dollars against $5 million in incremental sales? That would be a good return. That's a three times return. I would take yep. that all day. He's like, so go, right? And so off we went. And it was probably closer to like, 24 million dollars in incremental sales. And
0: still 24 million dollar return on a 1.5 million dollar investment is a no-brainer.
1: But it was all test and learn first, right? Yeah. So we had to go yeah, in. You don't like, come
0: in and go, I've got this brilliant idea. I just came out of dev and I saw this thing and we should totally just dump it on the enterprise. Exactly. That doesn't that doesn't fly well.
1: Exactly. And you know, it was all in the context of like again driving a business metric and a business outcome more than it was sort of advancing the L&D narrative. Okay. I like
0: that. I think something else, and then I actually want to transition to how you know you've transitioned and moved, past, you know, beyond where you were in that was another quirky trick that this would probably be one of those like happy hour conversations we would have is I remember I started implementing after we had one of those tense things, I would say before we make any final decisions on what we do, let's Sorry. take no, no worries. Let's take like 48 hours and just sit on it. Like, let's take 48 hours before we do anything. I'm not going to action against your idea or my idea. Let's take 48 hours on it. And the number of times we both just said, let's take a pause. Let's walk away 48 hours. Let's revisit where it is. (laughs) The number of times that came back with, you know what? You brought up some really good points. Go, go forward with it type of a thing. It was like, well, good. Just know when to take a break and walk away. And that has been massive.
1: I did that. Uh, we I did that in a same way, but it was like here are the things we should be thinking about. Yep. Like oftentimes when you press on success criteria, people wouldn't be able to tell you. No. Right. And and it was like you know okay you define the problem you want to solve, but how do we know it's actually going to get solved? And uh, oftentimes it was feeling more than sort of factually driven. And yep. so oftentimes I, I can remember several times walking away in you know, multiple companies that I worked in uh, from conversations where our to-do was to regroup and say 48 hours or tomorrow or whatever it was. Um, but let's think about wh- how we would actually measure success outcomes. Yeah. And sometimes we walked away because we couldn't define the success Right.
0: Outcome. Because we didn't really know what good looked like. And right. So and I'd,
1: walk, I'd out walk out of the room in my head. I'd be like, great, because training wasn't going to solve it anyway. Right. So, you know, I just avoided a bunch of, you know, meaningless work. So, yeah.
0: No, but I think those are the success criteria and the spacing, I think are two other points for anybody listening who may be in that cycle of you're running into it. You're trying to transition out of that order taker. This last segment, I think can be really helpful for folks who, regardless of where you sit in the organization, they're helpful ways to navigate it, whether CLO path or not is on your list. So you were at McDonald's for a while. And I remember it was a big announcement when you were, you were hanging your hat. You're like, I'm done. What, first of all, one, what led to saying, I think it's time for a new season for you. And then what has that new season looked like?
1: Um, a couple things. I, I think that um, for years I'd, I'd been thinking about like, what's my next move? So, um, cause honestly, CLO at McDonald's is like a pinnacle job. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like,
0: where do you go from there?
1: Yeah. I'm not going to get a bigger audience of 2 million people. I'm not going to get a bigger geography, 120 countries, you know, 14,000 locations in the U S all those things you can imagine. Um, so it was like, so sort of literally from the beginning, it was like, where's this going to lead me and what should I yeah. do next? Um, COVID hit 2020, um, We had some uh, change in CEO at the end of 2019, uh, change in CHRO in the beginning of 2020, Um, and uh, when the new CHRO came on board, I was like, hey, look, you know, um, I'm thinking about, I'm probably two years from thinking about going to do something else anyway, Um, and, you know, I know how people like to pick their team, and if I'm not part of the team, then that's okay. Just... Feel free to let me know. Yeah, I, and we'll just sort of figure out the right path. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, uh, so I got a warm reception to the, you know, to the openness on that, and I, um, I basically uh, set up my LLC shortly after that call, <laughs> and um, you know, but but it's pretty normal, you know. I mean, yeah. Um, if you if if you pay attention in a lot of businesses, when new leadership comes in at the top. There's always a lot of change below it. There is, and, and I think you know, I was one from the CEO. Um, you know that that new CEO, new CHRO, not unusual that that would happen. And actually, all of the directs of the CHRO, uh, you know, basically departed the business within twelve months of the CHRO coming in. So, um, so That's for me, awareness
0: was- though to your to your credit on that, and I think this is something that again, going back to just lessons people can take from this. One, taking that proactive approach, which requires the self awareness of, I'm not blind to the reality of the world that we're living in right now and the situation that's just happening, and not having this idea of, I'm so incredible. There's no way anything could ever disrupt this and go, I I recognize the situation we're in. And I get it. As a senior leader, you got to surround yourself with people you can trust. And sometimes the ones that know how to finish your sentence because you've got some big stuff happening and yeah. recognizing that and then proactively doing it to your credit. Yeah. I don't, I think that's yeah and,
1: I, and I don't think it's about like trust or, uh, you know, capability or anything like no. that. I think it's, honestly, I think it's about preference. And, um, you know, and I, I know when I came in to CLO in the McDonald's, two years later, there were two people that still reported to me that when I started and, you know, but, you know, five years later there was one person in the organization that was there when I started. So, it wasn't, it's, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, it's not uncommon. It's not but, necessarily
0: a reflection on your personal capability no. or their, so, so, what they think yeah. of you, which are, you have to depersonalize it. Cause I think. Yeah, that's so,
1: what... yeah. So recognizing that, I mean, I was, I was like, you know, if, if it's time now, then it's time now. And so I did some serious thinking about what I wanted to do next. I talked to a bunch of people about where the possibilities are in terms of what I could do. I could have gone and been a CLO somewhere else again, I suppose. Um, those kind of things. But, uh, You know, I wanted to go out and kind of do something on my own. And um, I wasn't really sure what that was. I didn't have it like clearly, you know, I didn't have a well-articulated business You didn't have a clear
0: plan based on how everything else had come together in your career? Just you knew exactly what
1: that was? I had a real fuzzy idea and um, a... a the big question was were people willing to pay for it i guess it was yeah. a big question for me and so um so i decided to sort of delve into the practice to the supplier side of things um and because one thing i noticed was that um often when in engaging with suppliers it was pretty rare although more common these days but pretty rare that you would actually encounter somebody who'd been a practitioner yeah um, in the space when working with a supplier and so uh, I felt like there was a b- real opportunity for and still is an opportunity for those that sell to CLOs and to, frankly, learning functions in general, to have an appreciation for what's actually going on, how decisions get made, how buying actually happens, um, you know, how does, you know, those kind of things yep. and the, the lens at which you want to pitch your product needs to be through that sort of lens. And so um, so I started reaching out into the venture community, venture capital community, private equity community um, and getting connected to some startups. And that's what I started doing.
0: Okay, which I'm thinking back to it. That was a bit of a deviation from where you at your head was initially thinking, because I remember talking to you at Hamburger U and, you know, you were at the time. I remember you were you were still thinking of like, well, I know this isn't my end destination and there is kind of a Rob post McDonald's. And I don't think at the time, the focusing on the tech vendor kind of leaning into that, that was not on your
1: radar. No, it wasn't. You know what it was? Uh, it was a uh, fractional. Yes. Yeah. Right. And yep. um, which I still am a big believer is a big idea. Yep. I don't think that, um, I don't think the world is ready for it yet. I okay. guess is the, the way to put it. The market's not there yet. You're starting to see it with like CFOs or CMOs. You're starting or, to, yeah. CTOs is a big one. Yep. You yep. see a
0: lot of fractional CTOs yep. who are starting to be like, we don't need a full-time head on this, but we do need that level of expertise.
1: Yeah, so my basic model was, um, look, you can't afford me full-time, right? Because you're two, you're probably a 10,000 person business and you know whatever, um, but you could afford me 25% of the time. And if I'm in there 25% of the time uh, helping your team on strategy, helping your team on direction, getting connected into the leadership team, basically my goal would be to elevate the strategic impact and value of your learning function as it stands today. Yep. You could probably afford that. And, and it'd be worth it. And, and it'd be totally worth a dollar. Worth it. Totally worth it. And there's a slew of people out there right now that I know that be totally willing to do that. But there's not a slew of organizations out there that have yet seen that as a big idea.
0: Yep. I agree. I agree. To to your point, I think the need is there. The market is not ready for it. And I think we're going to see that over the coming years as that becomes more of a, again, this goes back to some of the trends we're seeing in just workforce in general. Sure. Companies are going this specific role. Do we really need a full-time person for just that? Maybe we don't, but we also need somebody who's more engaged and more committed than say a, a consultant coming out of the big four that is just not necessarily personally invested in this organization and
1: dropping their PowerPoint deck or their playbook and write. right. Dropping the playbook yeah. that
0: they pulled together from another organization that paid him half a million dollars to do it right. and kind of re- yeah. re- refacing it.
1: Heck I'm way cheaper than that. So I mean, <laughs> <it's>, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, but but I think that you know that's why I believe that there's an opportunity there. I agree. I I, I agree. just think that there's not a marketplace yet for it. Okay. Yeah. And so um so uh, you know and to your point around gig work and gig economy, I think we're moving in that direction. I'm just early. Yeah.
0: And and we got a ways to go to get there. And so yep. I can see where you know the market just wasn't ready for it. Market wasn't yep. ready. And so I've actually, into-
1: actually pitched it a couple of times, and uh, people just weren't ready for it.
0: Yep. So as you started leaning into the tech market, I'm curious what some of your observations. You shared the one which was, you know, and I and I see a very similar trend, which is there was, and it's getting better, but that's still a big opportunity where a lot of the tech side is being informed, not by people in the L and D space who understand the complexities of one, how even decisions get made. You know, yeah. th- there's this idea that, oh, well, if I can get the senior learning leader on board, we're good. And it's like, well, no, there's there's a whole lot way of different ways that influence happens around decisions we make. What For were sure. some of the other observations that you saw?
1: I think that one of them is there's a lot like the good news is like there's a lot of really, really smart people in the supplier community there are. That, are, that are, that have, um, Identified problems that can be solved yes. through, like technology, right? So I think that and they have the that, capability to solve it for sure, right? And and you've seen some of them, and uh, you know all the big names you can think of, right? Have obviously figured some of that that out to some degree or level or more, or not. I think what's interesting to me is um, the sustainability of those organizations. So most of the big name players you would think of on the learning tech side that you would name today, twenty years ago weren't around. No. Most of the ones that were around 20 years ago are not around today. So I think that there's a sustainability issue in terms of like, there seems to be a life cycle on some organizations that last five, six, seven years, and then they sort of wane pretty significantly, um, some more dramatically than others. Um, And so I, so I've seen that. And I think that a lot of that has to do with staying attached into what's actually going on in the psyche of learning functions and organizations yeah. right
0: now. Yep. And organizations as a whole, because I just one of the examples, and I, I hate mentioning names of companies because I think it's irrelevant, but is in some ways, I wouldn't call it the rise and fall of the LXP, but the rise in a, almost absorption of the LXP was one yeah. where you saw it kind of come up as a new category, a brand new thing. It was paving a new path. And then in many ways, that capability got absorbed into the ecosystem. And it, it lost some of that distinctive flair of, oh, that's a thing. And it changed the vendor market. Sure. It dramatically changed the vendor market.
1: Sure. You look at like uh, LCMSs. <laughs> right. right? Which, which were hot in 2007, 2008, and pretty much extinct by 2014. right and so um yeah i think you're right you know the the lxp honestly was just an lms with a a better interface right and a little bit a better algorithm behind the scenes on it and i think you know that's how practitioners viewed it anyway although most people that are selling it would tell you it's far superior but most practitioners would tell you that's really what you're getting for it well and and i think the
0: tech caught up i think that was the Mm -hmm. thing there was a vast hole in the market and again, this goes back to some of the dynamics between practitioners and the vendors, was there was a gap that the learning community was going, we have this major problem that we have that is not being addressed by the current tech stack. And someone sees that, and every once in a while, they throw the dart, they thread the needle, and they get it right, and it goes kaboom. Yeah, And then it brings the rest of the market along for the ride. And I think that's what I saw with the LXP market was early on, it really had some unique, distinctive flair that the other big players were just going, we don't, we, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then all of a sudden the market moved and it was, well, we have to or we risk obsolation.
1: Yeah and, and wa- yeah, and you can watch what everybody talks about, right? So when that happened, uh, the conversation suddenly became about adaptive learning. Right. You know, we have adaptive learning. We have adaptive learning. We have adaptive learning. Just like that, you know, well, and personalization, I think, is still. um, It's still there. Still there. Still a thread that's being pulled. Still some nirvana. um, Interestingly, it also means a lot of different things
0: to a lot of different people, because you can talk personalization and that could mean just about anything.
1: Well, sometimes I think the pursuit of. uh, Uh, Figuring out what's in Chris Lynn's head and serving him only what he needs to know is a bit of a fool's game in large-scale organizations because it's a a perpetual moving target.
0: Well, and even going back to the challenges that we have, I think what we've seen with generative AI recently has given more hope for that. But again, what people often don't take into account is that's operating off a ton of data, which oftentimes you don't have that kind of data of what's going on in Christopher Lynn's head where is he right now so that we can start to predict what is it that he actually needs to accomplish whatever is in his head right now? And it's yeah. like, well, you're, you're the guessing game, there's still a huge disconnect. The bigger the organization, the bigger the guessing game.
1: Well, and I think a lot of it's still built off of a training model instead of yes. a, learning, a learning model. Yes. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I'll go back to my comment early in the conversation about enabling people to learn. Um, I still think that's where a lot of the boat is missed.
0: Yes, I would agree with you. That kind of
1: mindset is is missed. And so I think the personalization piece is a a noble chase, but it's sort of a holy grail chase that no one will ever actually get to.
0: Well, I think it goes back to your point of it's not only could it potentially be a holy grail, I think technology will get us to a point where it's less of a holy grail chase. But I think the challenge is, we're chasing the wrong path, to your point. It's like, well, if we chase this, it's like, well, if at the end of the day, what's at the end of that path is still just putting the right content object in front of somebody, that's that's not the noble path anyway. So even if hypothetically technology could get you to a point of doing it, you're still going to end up in this place where it's like, well, so what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get more interested in things like uh, in terms of opportunities that still exist out there, like interface design, you know, yep. uh, UX, that kind of stuff is still uh, for me um, persistently lacking, yeah. uh, particularly when it comes to like HCM systems and, and, you know, areas like that, where uh, companies have revenue streams teaching you, uh, you know, built off of how to teach you how to use their software. I, I think that's a bit criminal at this point in the world. Um, you know, uh, I don't understand why people still buy it. So, not I, it. and
0: you're talking about a consumer-grade experience where it's like this. It should be consumer-grade. An like, excuse that it's not.
1: Yeah, like really, you know, do, you know, do I have to? I'll, for my HCM, pick your name here. Why do I really have to go in and um, provide five days of training to administrators on how to set up an employee in the system? Right. I mean, stuff like that. i a bit of exaggeration there, but but not too far. No, from not, exactly. I was
0: going to say you're not <laughs> that far from it. The truth.
1: And, and oh, by the <laughs> way, in our implementation services agreement, you're paying twelve hundred dollars a person for that. Right. Right. Because. Our right. So stock- the
0: revenue is driven to make it. It's actually incentivizing. We don't want to solve that problem because. Why would we? That's yeah. revenue lost.
1: And organizations that sit there and say like, "Oh, that's okay, that's just a cost of doing business. I mean, I understand why it's even tolerated these days when yeah. you know we can we can on the consumer side, you can execute all kinds of sophisticated transactions and tasks today that you have absolutely no idea how to actually do, but a system guides you through it, right? Like you know, a wire transfer used to be a big black box. Now it's like, oh, yeah. You You can go to your bank,
0: you just click a few buttons and like boom Venmo. You
1: know, Venmo, you can't get any easier, right? I mean the hardest
0: me your phone number and I'll send
1: you Yeah, right. The hardest part of Venmo is like, what's your phone number? Or what's your I only have you in my contact list. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, different (laughs) problem. But but do you see what I mean? It's like but why why isn't enterprise software getting there? So it's, it's a very interesting sort of perspective that I have around that, that still we haven't made the progress that we need to. Which
0: I think going back to it, it I'm curious your take on what contributes to that. Because to me, I see where the threat of, well, that's a revenue source. But to me, I see where you could add value in other ways and make up that revenue tenfold, whether it's gaining market share, whether it's other things where it's like, well, y- you find other ways where you can make money. And if it's a ACE consumer experience, even the brand loyalty alone will cover that cost.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, you know, and I think it does, uh, it's detrimental to brand loyalty, which just picking on HCM platforms again, gives, you know, gives the opportunity for new entrants to rise and begin to take market share. Right. I mean, that's,
0: and this isn't just unique to the HR tech market because think about, think about, taxis. (laughs) taxis. <laughs> the taxi industry, which was you had to create such a, a horrible experience to the point it created a market opportunity where somebody went, why did we have to make it so bad? Shouldn't you just be able to go on your phone say, I need a ride from here to here. And next thing you know, a car shows up, picks you up and takes you there. And it completely flipped the market on its
1: head. Sure. Yeah. Because they just made it simpler. Right. right? And human history says that people in general gravitate to whatever's easier. Yeah. Even back to the wheel or back to fire, right? That made things easier. So consequently it got wide acceptance.
0: Okay, So,
1: you know, so I, I think <laughs> it's, pragmatist. I'm saying, no,
0: it's again, it goes, it speaks to some of the things, even just going back further, which I think has largely contributed to your success is that pragmatist and that natural, Pragmatist and operations focus on, hey, if there's a better way to do this, why wouldn't we just do it? Right. Let's just do it because it's easier and it's better. It's both. And, and
1: let's not hold on to what we have because we've invested the past three years for it. Who cares? Three years is gone. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to, you know, why limp for the next five years on it when, you know, when what we're doing is clearly not the best way to go.
0: Which is not easy to do. And I think that's. I recognize and appreciate that that's not always easy for people to do. And it is a change in things. I mean, there have been times where I can think of one fairly recently where LMS implementation, and it was like, well, we can limp along with this broken tool that was selected that doesn't work, or we can cut our losses and just say this fundamentally technologically is incapable. And I get, we were trying to, save some costs or we were trying to do this and that let's just fix it and we don't have to like you said limp along for five years because you're like well we we did it I guess we just got to make the most of it
1: yeah I, th- I think that's the case but you know I think that you know I'll say that and then I'll contradict myself because I think like if I take my McDonald's experience with an LMS you know it's in 20 something countries with more than a million users um it will, or it has maybe now outlived its usefulness when we implemented it in 2016, right? Right. So eight years in on it, it's probably time to be thinking about what's next and that's a multi-year change activity. Right. But I don't think it's hard to get to the decision of, look, we need to change because this thing's getting long in the tooth. There are better products out there now that can do more or that are better suited for what we might need if we're clear on what we need. Um, and, um, You know, I I think that's super healthy thinking and I think it helps keep organizations' learning functions relevant in organizations. Well,
0: and I think going back to it, and this goes back to because my next question for you is, you know, some of the practical advice you'd have for practitioners in the space, but this goes back to something that I think you're going to hit on because we hit on it before we went live, is this idea of exploration does not require implementation. And that to me has always, it's why I started this show was originally I started it to help people go, listen, you can explore technology and explore the possibilities and explore what can happen. And you may come to that conclusion and go, I get it, it makes sense, I see where this is. Prioritization-wise, it's not the right time or we don't have the right business case in front of us to pull on that. And that's okay.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that one of the things um, for me, was um, you know how do we stay curious about what's going on and and i'll admit like i wasn't the greatest at it in terms of looking back i probably should have been a lot more proactive about it but i think that um you know people like uh, simon brown at novartis so i'll just shout him out here but you know he's written books about curiosity and everything else and um i think he's touched on the right thing i know elliot's talking about curiosity now as well and i think as learning professionals the big question is how curious are we so for example um You know, as a CLO, I get 30 or 40 emails a week, sometimes a day from suppliers (laughs) that wanted to meet with me and talk about what they were doing. Um, And most often I said no. But I think, you know, so I think thinking about that now would be what are three or four areas where we should be paying attention to as a function? Yeah. Let's just name those AI. I don't know. A coaching, AI coaching. Okay, great. Let's pick that category. Now, we don't have a budget. We don't really know how we would implement it. We don't really have a strategy. That's fine. Right. But I'm going to turn down every supplier that tries to call on me on AI coaching because I don't want to get in the sales cycle. And I think if you're super transparent with those suppliers and say, look, I'm trying to learn, so show me what you have, right? Help educate me. And if you do that with three or four of those suppliers that are out there in the space, I would bet you start to get a much better understanding of the strategy that you might need and yep. or whether or not you really should be paying attention to it in your organization or not.
0: Right. And or you, if it's the Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Because you might go out and look at them and be like, mm, interesting, but not compelling. Yes. Right, And that's time well spent then because you're moving on to the next thing or that, you know, there's not a market yet for it. Right. Those kind of things. So I think as we're looking at, particularly today, where there's so much noise about AI and AI is going to change everything. Right. Uh, Great. Go out and look at AI content generation tools. Go talk to five suppliers about it. Right. And and have them demo for you what they're doing. Take 30 minutes of their time to do it. Explain to them that you're not buying, but you want to be educated. And ninety nine percent of them are going to be like, great, happy to show you. Right. And I, and I think that that is time well spent from a curiosity perspective and time well spent to, you know, sort of percolate the things in your yes. head about the conversations about AI and what your response in an organization is to it about where it might actually drive value or where it might not.
0: Well, because just because it can do something doesn't mean it's going to be adding value for
1: you. Correct. I mean, we had a big debate in McDonald's about virtual reality. And I was like, well, okay, you know, we've got to spend $14 million on headsets alone to deploy in the U.S. for one course. Okay, that would be a record. And then, um, you know, two, virtual reality of a restaurant in a restaurant. Well, why don't I just take the mask off <laughs> and see, you know, and do <laughs> yeah. reality reality, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so, the, so there's a little bit of like, it was cool that everybody's talking about the metaverse. But is it really the right thing for us to be chasing right now? Maybe. Right.
0: And and having that position, and I think this is one of the things that I would add to that, having that position in the moment doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. And right. I think that's where I see the curiosity and the exploration being so critical is, listen, it's, it's for percolation because the number of times where I've explored things, and again, I think curiosity, again, I know Simon well, and I 100% agree with that whole piece of Curiosity to me is what differentiates great, I think, professionals as a whole versus others. It's a differentiator is the folks who are like, I understand there may not be the thing right now, but I'm really curious to understand what could happen. And the number of times in my career where something has percolated for a long time and then the window of opportunity shows up and that's when you go, but you have the ability to jump very quickly and move very fastly because you've built the relationships, you know, the players, you know, the state of things. And so when somebody goes, I have no idea what to do about this, you can go, I do. And we can attack that real quick and prove it out. And maybe I'm wrong because we haven't done it, but we can at least experiment. And if I'm right, I've gotten some big blank checks in the past over the years for that kind of stuff.
1: Agree hundred percent. And I think that that's sort of my advice would be like, uh, not necessarily take it to an experiment because experiments are great and pilots, no. you know, whatever are great. But I think that um, at least being curious and engaging the supplier community to tell them what you're up to, what they're up to and what they're working on. Cause you know, I, I mentioned to this before we started, but I think a lot of innovation and in learning and development function has come from the supplier community. I think yes. that, the, I think that anything AI No learning function is going to build their own AI platform and do it themselves internally. Those days are over. So it's all going to be supplier led. So how are you engaging out in the supplier community to even understand what's on the horizon, what's being talked about, what's being contemplated from a product perspective to know whether or not you're on the cusp or whether you're going to, you know, whether you're going to be an early adopter or whether you're going to be a laggard on it.
0: Well, it also keeps you, honestly, it almost, honestly, it also keeps you honest because there are lots of times where you think, oh, what we're doing is groundbreaking and we're blowing the mold and we're doing all this stuff. And you start poking around and looking at what's available and you go, oh, I'm still wearing my 1980s track suit, you know, because to me, hey, it's great and it looks wonderful and it's, and you don't, you don't even realize how far behind you've fallen because you just don't realize it.
1: Yeah. Because I've won awards for it. Right. (laughs) I won awards in my Zubas. Which could be a whole whole other hour of conversation about what's wrong with the (laughs) awards. But yeah.
0: Well, so how about though, as you've gotten to know the vendor side, because I do recognize and am empathetic to, you know, when you're on the practitioner side, I get it. You're busy. You've got all these other things. The idea sometimes of doing all this. And to be fair, You can get trapped in these sales cycles where junior deputy salesperson now starts calling you every other week going, hey, where are we at with this on the next steps? And and you're like, nowhere, because I literally was just exploring anything for the vendors that I know you talk to a lot of them that you've seen help them navigate that well. Because to me, I use this analogy a lot with it. It's like a middle school dance. Where you yeah. got the boys and the girls on opposite sides of the gym, both looking at each other. They'd all benefit and enjoy it if they got out on the dance floor. But yeah. kind of knowing where to start sometimes is awkward.
1: The cotillion, right? I think that the um, the best way for the, is for the practitioner side to set the, the realistic
0: expectations. expectations,
1: right? Look, I'm not looking to buy. This is about me learning, right? This is about us, my team, even understanding better what's out there right? We're interested in what you're doing because we're curious about it, not because we think we want to buy it, right? That's yeah. not our our point of this call. So I'd literally like, so what I don't want is like, you know, bumping it to the top of my inbox emails, start pinging my yeah. thing. Just be direct, be honest. Yeah. Right. And say what you don't want. And, you know, any junior sales rep is going to get that. Right. They're all going in their CRM system and saying, you know, uh, Rob Lauber's company, XLO, that's not a lead. Right. Because I had that conversation with them about I'm curious, I'm not buying. I'm curious. So um, I think just, say, you know, having that ex- setting that expectation with people is super important. I think that the supplier community is very open to that yeah. because they don't get that's been my experience. Well, because they're dying for platforms to educate people on what they're doing because they think they're leading the way. And so has that,
0: been, has that been an interesting exercise on, as you talk to vendors about that, about understanding the buying cycle for practitioners? Because that is, I can see if you're coming from something else, another industry where you have a conversation, you're talking to people who are... You know, it's a very transactional type thing versus recognizing this is relational in nature and that cycle may be long. Is that is that an area of opportunity?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest opportunity that um, where I spend a lot of time with with particularly with founders is in the buying model, like the sales model. So um, so I'll just pick a company. Uh, I'm talking to Marriott, you know, I'll have this conversation and I'll be like, well, I'm talking to Marriott. And I'll be like, okay, great. So, and they're like, well, you know, they have 300,000 people and it's like, <laughs> okay, but there's no way they're going to sit there and say,
0: <laughs> don't do your financial planning on that.
1: You're going to say, I'll take it for all 300,000 out of the gate. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, they're going to take it for 40 people. And, you know, prove you out before it goes anywhere. Then it might go to 200 people. And maybe seven years from now, you're at 300,000 people in their organization. But helping them really understand that like land and expand is the way that we buy
0: yeah. is,
1: is super important for them to, to get. And a lot of them don't necessarily think so. So they have these expectations around, well, you know, the total market value is $2 billion, and we think we can get to $100 million in three years. And I'm looking at the product, and I'm like, there's no way, right? You you might be in 20 locos in three years, 20 really good businesses in three years, but you're not going to be pumping, you know – $2 2 million dollars out of each of them in the next 3 years. Yeah. So it's um it's just really, you know, I mean that'll be the off, not to say that it never happens, but that'll yeah. be the, that's That'll not, be the
0: exception not the norm.
1: That's not what you bet your business on as a supplier. And so uh, so helping them really understand that this is sort of a uh, relational is a super yep. good word and that it grows, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just land and you're done. So um that, I spend a lot of time talking about that. And that's really about, you know, the buying habits of us and the practitioner and what they do as a practitioner and what we do. And oftentimes I talk to them about how the CLO is not necessarily the decision maker. Right. right? That's what I mean.
0: mean, Even how decisions get made and who has the purchasing power and, you know, all those things. If my
1: team came to me and, you know, and they came with enough swag and said, you know, we need this tool and here's what it needs to be. I probably ask a few questions, uh, make sure we have it in the budget. But largely, uh, I guess if you call that decision making, then I'm like, go do whatever you need to do. Yep. Right. And half the time, you know, they know, oh, we already have enough room in the budget for it. And I'm like, okay, great. Let me know how it goes. Right. And I'm not even the guy executing the contract. So it's it's, you know, helping them helping the supplier community really understand that's been a lot of what I've been spending my time doing. Awesome.
0: Well, we are out of time, even though I feel like I've got another several hours worth of questions <laughs> that I would just love to just sit and chat about. Always, but Rob, yeah. I really appreciate you making the time uh, you know, to just catch up again. And I hope even just for anybody listening, whether you're on the vendor or practitioner side, that some of these insights there can really help you drive your organization forward. So Rob, thank you for being you, here. Chris. I really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully everybody got something from this. And uh, I think that's it for now. If you missed the full conversation, I will do a plug. Sign up for my substack because I will continue doing the TLDR Get Abstract version of all of these conversations. <laughs> so thank you again. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thanks, Chris.